0: I'm the bell in downtown London, a mix of sun and cloud, 15 degrees. London City Council will mull over reducing speed limits in residential areas from 50 to 40 kilometers an hour. The change gained momentum during a Civic Works Committee meeting earlier this month, with city politicians recommending consultations on the topic. 980 CFPL's Lenny Lambrink has more. If council moves forward with the committee recommendation, city staff will be directed to talk to various safety and transportation committees. They'd also hold a public participation meeting on reducing residential speed limits with the results of those conversations heading back to council in the fall. A report from city staff says dropping the speed limit to 40 kilometers an hour greatly reduces the risk of a fatal crash involving a pedestrian but it also warns against setting limits too low. Noting that pedestrians and drivers alike might misjudge someone's rate of speed if the limit is set so low that people aren't following it. Cost will also be a factor. Manufacturing and installing necessary signage to communicate the lowered speed limit would cost the city $400,000. The conversation comes three years after London City Council lowered the speed limit to 40 in school zones. Lenny Lambrink, 980 CFPL. Middlesex OPP say a 43-year-old Tilsonburg man is facing charges after a stolen vehicle investigation resulted in drug charges. Police say they learned about a suspicious vehicle stuck in the mud of a farm field near the 3000 block of Harriotsville Drive in Thames Center just before midnight Friday. The vehicle had been reported stolen from Elgin County and a search of it turned up a small quantity of suspected meth and drug paraphernalia. The driver was arrested and police learned that a second suspect fled before they arrived. They were unable to find them. Oxford County OPP have charged a 37-year-old Ingersoll woman for failing to stop for a school bus just north of Tilsonburg. Police say an officer in an unmarked cruiser saw a southbound Hyundai on Plank Line fail to stop for a school bus, also traveling south, at roughly 8.30 this morning. According to police, the school bus had its upper red lights and extended arm flashing and was stopped. Constable Barry Cookson tells 980 CFPL a 15-year-old student was almost struck.
1: They went into the opposite lane of traffic to pass and the student was starting to uh, step onto the roadway and had to take evasive action to uh, avoid being struck.
0: Cookson says the unmarked cruiser waited until the school bus had started moving again and safely passed it, caught up to the vehicle, and conducted a traffic stop. Nearly 5,000 people have been ordered out of high-level and nearby First Nation communities in Alberta because of a wildfire. The blaze is about five kilometers southwest of a town and has covered a vast area in the tinder Dry region. Bruce Mayer, Alberta's Assistant Deputy Minister of Agriculture and Forestry, credits municipal authorities in high level and the area for their speedy decision on the evacuation.
2: The municipalities up there uh, took
3: a bold step yesterday and evacuated people uh, before there was any uh, mayhem happening, uh, you know, dissimilar to what happened during Fort McMurray when they were all evacuated during, uh, during the fire itself.
0: No buildings have been damaged. Premier Jason Kenney says firefighters from B.C., Ontario, and Nova Scotia will be arriving in Alberta over the next 48 hours to help get the blaze under control. You're listening to 980 CFPL.
3: Oh, it is a nice day. It's about time. We're getting a few of these. Enjoy them. John Wilson says they're not going to last. Don't worry about that. Thank you so much to Jess Brady for filling in on London Live last week. Jess was fantastic to listen to. I did it as I cleaned out the garage. Yes, it's it's not easy to go into the garage and and think, okay, now what? You, you know how garages get, right? They're not for cars anymore. They're for all the extra stuff. You get stuff that doesn't fit in the house, where does it go? It goes in the garage. And then when you bring in more stuff you think, well, that's not going to fit. That stuff's already in the way. So you just kind of plunk it down. And bit by bit by bit your garage gets awfully full. Well, now we could actually fit a vehicle into our garage and thanks to Jess Brady as inspiration, that's done. So it was it was a fun time away. I'm looking forward to this week. I'm especially looking forward to Friday morning. You know what happens on Friday morning? We'll talk about this in a half hour on London Live. We talked about blood donation a little while ago, right? And it's something I've never done. And I just happen to be O-negative. You know what O-negative is? Universal donor. You know who the worst people in the world are? Universal donors who have yet to try to give blood. So right there under that heading, worst people in the world. If you look it up, do it. Google it. You'll find my name. Mike Stubbs with two B's, worst, because I've never tried to even donate blood, and that's unforgivable. Maybe I can't, I don't know. I don't have a tattoo. I meet the weight requirements. I should be able to do this. I'm a relatively healthy individual at the moment. So, on Friday morning, we're going to give this a shot, because Chorus Radio London is going to be having an employee blood donation, So today, in about a half hour from now, Kristen Unger from Canadian Blood Services has been nice enough to come into the studio and kind of walk us through. If you've never done this before, she'll take us through everything that you need to do. And... It's not just involved with arriving at the door and walking in and sitting down and having someone take blood from you. There's a lot more to it than that. So, if you've never done it before, we're going to get the step-by-step process this week. Tomorrow, we're going to meet someone who is a very regular blood donor. And we'll talk about some little tips so that maybe all of us can do it. Because one of the things Kristen is going to outline is this. There is a limited supply... Of all negative blood right now. There's a limited supply of blood, let's face it. We need more donors. We need people to be doing this more often. But there is a limited supply. How limited? Four days. Four days. That means they're in need. And so we'll see what we can do come Friday morning. We are also going to talk about knee replacements. Hopefully you don't need to get one. But we're going to look specifically at ACL injuries and hopefully not ever have to get to a knee replacement. But we'll talk about ACL injuries on the show today and something that has happened to the Fowler-Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic. You have no idea how great this is. Maybe this will outline it. Do you remember when Steve Iserman, who played for the Detroit Red Wings, was not a general manager and he was a player playing for the Detroit Red Wings? Well, when he injured his knee... He said, there's only one place I'm going to go, and that was the Fowler-Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic. And so many high-level individuals treat it that way. This is an international spot to come if you have knee issues. Well, they've just uncovered something that seemed to be old and gone, and they've brought it back, and they've given it a shot, and they've tested it out, and it could help with knee injuries, and it could help to prevent things like future problems with knees. So we'll talk about that. A couple of city councillors are going to join us today on London Live, Ariel Kaibega, who is Ward 13 councillor. She's going to talk about speed limits in the city of London. Right now, I'm in the process of teaching someone to drive again. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't I don't know if that's great. I'm I'm hoping I'm up to speed in terms of doing everything right, but my son just got his G1. And so that means he's in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. And he experienced this firsthand. We're driving through a subdivision. And I said, now, what's the speed limit in the subdivision? And having just passed his G1 test, he didn't have to think for five minutes like the rest of us. I think it's 50. So he said 50. And I said, how fast are you going? And he said, I'm going about 40 right now, but I don't want to go 50. I think this is the right speed. I said, okay, well, if that's what you feel comfortable doing, then that's what you should do. Comfort behind the wheel, very important. But when you speed up to 50 and you look around, and you think, I'm whizzing along here. And at any moment, somebody could come running off a lawn. It was one thing when you had great big properties But you know what we've done with great big properties? We've cut them in half or we've cut them in thirds. And so now we've got tiny little properties. You get people out on the front lawn and somebody who's two, three years old, they can be gone. They can be on the road in no time. 50 is too fast, way too fast. Drive around London, any of the construction areas where what happens in construction areas? Speeds are reduced. Here's the thing. If you're on Hamilton Road, you know that there's more construction going on out in front of the home hardware, out in front of the, the Sasquatch carving. You know in and around all of that area, there are speed bumps that are put in. They're temporary, but they're to keep people from going fast approaching those construction areas. Well, We should probably have more of that going on all the time. That's something we're going to talk with Councillor Cayabaga about. And we're also going to talk about Thames Parkway, which would beautify some things in the city of London. That means spending some money. And here's the way you've got to think of it. If spring comes and you own a home, or even if you rent a home, what's one of the things that you do? You spruce it up, you pick up the leaves, you fill in any holes, dead patches on the grass, you fill that in. You might go and buy some hanging baskets, right? Do a little painting. And what does all that stuff do? Costs you money, right? Of course it does. But you spend that money to make things look good. Thames Parkway and connecting some trails, that's going to cost some money. Is it something that the City of London should be doing? We'll talk about that a little later on in the show. But first, we do want to get to gas prices, which, if you were driving in this morning, we were looking at about one twenty-nine at most stations, a buck twenty-nine. Now it doesn't have anything on BC, as they still sit buck sixty, even buck seventy. They've seen that. And one of the questions that has been posed in all of this now there was an Angus Reid survey done last week. There've been other surveys done, but one of the questions that was posed in all of this is, could you cap? The price of gas. Could you put a maximum on the price of gas? I don't know. Probably not. But we'll investigate that in just a moment. Because Dan McTagg, our good friend from GasBuddy.com, will join us as we kick off the Tuesday edition of London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Gas prices are not low. And this is not a surprise. Certainly shouldn't be. We knew that rises were coming. We knew that the carbon tax would affect things, or carbon pricing, or whatever you want to term it as. So, when people start saying, yeah, but they're getting too high in some spots, they're not talking about us. Even though 129.9 didn't look too friendly on the way in this morning, it's not in the 160s, it's not in the 170s. And there has been a little bit of suggestion that... Maybe we look at a max. Maybe we look at a cap for gas prices. Well, doesn't that sound convenient? Can it even happen? Is this a thing that we should even be having a conversation about? When we have questions about gas prices, we like to call on our good buddy, Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com. Dan, how are things? You seeing uh, big numbers at the pumps again?
2: Not really, uh, Mike, if anything. uh, Pump prices have actually backed off a little bit from where they were this time last year. I know for many people it may have been a lost memory, but we were paying about five cents a litre more uh, the last May 2 for a weekend that we celebrated in 2018, and uh, that despite the federal government reimposing a carbon tax after, of course, uh, uh, the uh, province removed it uh, way back in uh, September of uh, 2018. So... No, not much in the way of any change. Of course, the Canadian dollar is a tiny bit weaker than last year, uh, but oil is a little cheaper this year at sixty-three bucks a barrel versus seventy-two. So, a lot of good things have happened uh, that gave us a bit of protection, but not everywhere. And of course, provinces like British Columbia are, you know, just prime examples of where prices have hit all-time records. Not only for them, not only for the country, but for all of North America, of any major city, increases. Uh, and, uh, high prices that have, uh, really uh, caused a lot of people to, uh, to pay attention and, uh, certainly inflicted a significant amount of pain at pumps.
3: Well, like you say, it certainly wasn't that bad over the holiday weekend in and around this area. I mean, we saw dollar twenty a little under dollar twenty, depending on where you've gone. But we have seen an Angus Reed survey. We have heard certain politicians starting to talk about what should be done with gas prices, and they're probably pointing out west way out west b c out west, where things have like you indicated they would go to one sixty and over. What exactly do you make of suggestions and words like cap and and max?
2: Well, I mean, it's for those who don't understand the markets and certainly don't understand that uh, those who are making those same kind of comments are usually the first ones to help themselves to an ever-increasing amount of gas tax. Here I'm referring, of course, uh, to the uh, provincial government uh, in British Columbia, which has increased taxes about 2.5 cents a litre. Uh, Just uh, on the carbon tax alone, it's about to uh, increase again a penny and a half this summer. Um, And of course, uh, the provincial uh, NDP here in Ontario, uh, who have introduced, uh, once again, uh, a bill uh, to uh, regulate gas prices. I mean, when you don't understand markets, the first thing you do is, let's get a bunch of bureaucrats together to do that. Uh, I kind of don't like that uh, for the simple reason that it doesn't work, and... uh, the reason it was done, for instance, in the Maritimes, beyond the fact they were a small market, was probably more importantly that they, are, they wanted some uh, predictability in gas prices. And that was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And in fact, they've been doing it since the 1930s, off and on. Of course, predictability is an easy thing to do today. And so not really necessary to hire a bunch of people to come out and figure out a price that sometimes can lead to unintended consequences, as was the case in uh, in Nova Scotia just three years ago, Mike, where they ran out of gasoline in all of the province. And that's uh, a function of the fact that they didn't uh, get the right spec of gasoline. But more importantly, when you start telling the market what to do, uh, you can do that, uh, but you might wind up uh, as in the case of British Columbia, potentially leading to no gasoline at all. And no one will serve you because you're not the price you're paying. Isn't the price that's going for a product at a time when, you know, you either have a problem producing enough gasoline or, at a time when gasoline is becoming more and more rare in the Pacific Coast region, so you know you have to be careful. It's a simplistic solution. Uh, people like to trot it out, uh, but you know, not being one who uh, thinks the industry should not be behaving in the way that uh, you know provides competitive outcomes, um, I can't see an example. This weekend, I saw gasoline in the London market selling for a buck seventeen, buck eighteen. I saw it in Woodstock. I certainly saw it. And Strathroy, I see it in St. Thomas from time to time, that's gasoline being sold below cost. You want to get rid of that? By all means, cap it to a certain amount. But how do you determine that cap? Uh, These are folks that can't predict gas prices. So, you know, what are they going to cap it at? And could it do far more good than uh, than, than, uh, the danger that they're they're talking about? I think it would.
3: Dan McTagg joining us from GasBuddy.com. Now, you've said this before, that you do have retailers who are selling below market at. How and why yeah. do they even do that?
2: Well, they t- t- to gain market share, and they go to their suppliers and say, "Look, you're a big refiner; um, you can uh, you can cut us a bit of slack here." Um, you know, I look on a day like today, the wholesale price of gasoline plus taxes in, including the carbon tax, including the federal tax of ten cents a litre, including the provinces fourteen point seven, and the GS- HST, which both um, federal and provincial governments share. Uh, you know, comes to about a dollar twenty. So, uh, how he's able to sell at three cents below is anyone's guess. But they often cross subsidize or use gasoline as a loss leader, especially the big box stores, which uh, you know may very well do things like uh, you know get you to pay a fee. Costco does that, uh, or may not honor your credit cards. Uh, you have to only use theirs, and they're only open during a certain time. So, I'm seeing like right now in London. A lot of gas stations over the past half hour um, have uh, moved gas prices back down to $1. a dollar nineteen point nine so as I was mentioning the dollar twenty that's pretty much within range of what it takes for them to buy their fuel. they're retailing gasoline at the price of which is they're they're replacing it and hoping that you buy other products so whether that be supreme gasoline diesel or whether that be the menu of things that they offer in their convenience stores—that's really the only way in which you can make uh, make ends meet.
3: Man, and is that why we see no independent gas bars anymore? I mean, I'm sure there are some here and there, but for the most part, they're gone.
2: Yeah, the real mom and pops who own the pumps, own the uh, own, uh, their, uh, station, own their station, own the real estate, uh, and can tell the big companies what price they're going to charge at without fear of being uh, disciplined. They're, they're far and few between. They're mostly gone. What is what is. What is termed independent today is really a franchise owner that's told what to do in terms of prices. Um, but you know, understand this: that uh, if you want to get rid of these days where in the morning you're paying a dollar twenty-seven, and by the evening you're paying a dollar nineteen or a dollar twenty. If you want to get rid of that and you want to always pay a dollar twenty-seven, by all means, go for a cap and go for regulation. Because where I've seen it work, it doesn't work. And at the end of the day, when you see big price drops here in Ontario. Um, They have to wait another week for it in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, and and Newfoundland. And, of course, they say, well, the reverse is true. When prices go up, we wait a week. No. (laughs) Guys like me can predict the price when they go up. And so you know in advance there's no advantage whatsoever to having uh, um, regulated gas prices. But as I said before, uh, people who don't understand this industry, uh, you know, usually trot out the most simplistic of examples. And the MPP in Ontario who brought this out, I've known him very well for a long time, had many debates with him over the years. Yeah, the week he introduced the legislation, was ideal. The idea, the idea behind it was that Northern Ontario is not getting the same deal as Southern Ontario, except that he didn't bother to check the Gas Buddy website to find that actually gas prices in places like Timmins were cheaper than Toronto. So, you know, you've got to be careful. Um, and if you, you, know, you do this the wrong way, and you form a government, you could also do a lot of injury to consumers. And I think at the end of the day, what people are looking for more than anything else is transparency, and I want to say this very politely, Mike, but I had to learn it through the hard School of Hard Knocks, get some MPs to really smarten up, and MPPs to do the same.
3: Dan McTagg joining us from GasBuddy.com. Dan, one last thing, and that is, do you have any concern that they may go for that easy solution at one point in Ontario, or was this just one of those things floated by somebody looking to say something different, looking to get the attention that, well, I'm now giving it?
2: Oh, I'm sure they would. Yeah, if they give me the opportunity, Blush, Yes, uh, some would go for it. Especially uh, the new Democrats have made no secret of the fact that uh, they uh, they will they would like to look at regulation. Although I think in some markets like British Columbia, where they have I mean, they've got members who who want to push this, uh, realize that if they do that, the Americans will simply cut off the tap and say, "Drop dead. We'll go somewhere else." Now you've got no gasoline. So if you want to be cool and trendy and uh, and come up with simplistic uh, ideas, great. But be very careful, because we're not dealing with, you know, uh, uh, the cost of regulating the price of of, of milk here when there are substitutes. There is no substitute to diesel and gasoline, and uh, we all can't go out and buy $60,000 Teslas in order to make up the difference.
3: Dan, thanks so much for the time.
2: Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me.
3: Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com. That's why we talk with Dan, because he does have that understanding. When you look at something and say, okay, this would be the easy solution. I mean, you know what's the easiest to do? It's very easy to grab a math textbook and look at a problem and then say, okay, now let me go to the back here. Oh, look, there's the solution. Yeah, I see how they got that. Yeah, that was easy. But you're missing all of the steps. You're missing exactly what it takes in order to arrive at that solution. And that's what you have to be careful of here. And Dan brings a great piece of warning, the idea that the gas doesn't just arrive here. This is not just, okay, well, we need more gas. Make the phone call. You have to pay the money. You have to get it from the supplier. And if that supplier is saying, you know, the way that you're handling things is not helping my bottom line. So guess what? We're not dealing with you anymore. Then you've got a big problem on your hands. And that's what you want to avoid. I mean, the idea that we do have cheaper gas as the day goes along I don't mind that. Why? Because people like Dan McTagg will say, here's when you buy gas. Don't buy it in the morning. How many times has he said that? Do not buy gas in the morning. Or if you have to, put in, make it like the old days, put in five bucks, whatever is going to get you the few feet that you have to go, and then leave it at that and fill up on the way home, because we've already got prices falling now. So you don't want to have caps and maxes and regulation and that's not helping any of us because that eliminates the market from being able to have its flexibility right so thanks to dan for that uh update on a couple of different things one from the hockey world if you are a joe thornton and logan couture fan and a san jose sharks fan here is the latest on them Apparently Eric Carlson will not play tonight for the San Jose Sharks. He's been hampered by a groin injury, the g -g -g kind, and he hasn't been feeling all that well for a while. Thomas Hurdle will not play. That's a big loss for them. And Joe Pavelski is a game-time decision. That is also a big blow for Logan Couture, Joe Thornton, and the San Jose Sharks. Coming up on the show, we are going to talk blood and blood donation. Kristen Unger has been nice enough to join us. If you've given blood, you know how easy it is. And typically people who give blood will spread that message and say, yeah, I don't, I don't get why people don't do this more often. Now, not everybody can. And there are certain things that you have to factor in. Well, what are those things? Is it just Health? Uh, No, not really. It, it's a lot of different things. And Kristen will outline some of those things. She'll also make mention of just how in need certain types of blood are. And she'll go through the process so that we paint the picture of what it's like to donate blood. I finally have the date and time marked down this Friday, 830. I'll be arriving And hopefully, I will pass all of the tests that I need to and be able to donate my own negative blood. First, though, we've got news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So, numbers have started to come in for Game of Thrones in the finale, eighth season finale showed up on Sunday night uh broke the record for the show uh it is the most watched episode of any HBO show according to the Wall Street Journal all of this is is bunk is forget this none none of this is accurate there's no way i believe any of this because one of the things that it will not do when you look at 13.6 million viewers is come close to things like MASH. Everybody will always say, well, no, the, the finale of MASH, that was the finale of all finales. And that had, I'm trying to think of, of how many people watched the finale of MASH. I'll find the exact number, but I'll tell you right now, it was way more than 13.6 million viewers. Here it is. You know how many people it was? 106 million 106 million people watched the MASH finale 35 years ago. To this day, still the number one ranked finale of any TV show. So wait a minute. You're telling me the 13.6 million viewers watched on HBO? Yeah, no. I'm not believing that for a second. Maybe on HBO, but overall, no way. You can't take the number of people who are streaming and count them. You can't take the number of people who are watching it illegally and count them. And if you look at the number of young people that are doing both, this number would be off the charts. You can't measure anymore. You know what MASH is going to be? The most watched TV show of all time ever. That's what it's going to be. Because you're never going to be able to count all the different ways that people watch things now. So Throw it all out. Might as well take all of that stuff. MASH, Cheers, take all of that stuff. Seinfeld. I think they're the top three, aren't they? MASH, Cheers, and Seinfeld. Take all of that, frame it, put it in the TV Hall of Fame, and call it a day. Because nothing is ever going to touch that. Because you can't count it that way anymore. Doesn't work. So, Game of Thrones. um, Setting a ratings record. Kind of. Yeah, but you won't be able to count it, so you'll never get anything accurate again. Congratulations, MASH. You're there forever. You can make a difference in life in so many different ways. And one of the easiest ways is something that we always overlook. I know I have. And I've been talking on 980 CFPL for a while now about the fact that I have to make that stop. That, that has to change. Friday morning it is. I am finally going to donate blood Up next, Kristen Unger is going to join us from Canadian Blood Services, and we are going to talk about what it takes. She'll get us through the step-by-step process of what you have to do and illustrate basically how, first of all, how professionally it's handled so that you have no worries whatsoever. And number two, let's face it, how easy it is. That's coming next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. In about 40 minutes from now on London Live, we are going to be talking about speed limits in London. So, residential speed limits for the most part. Think about what they are now. 50 in most places. That's fast. That's too fast. We don't need to be going that fast. We talked a couple of weeks ago with Graham from Vision Zero. And one of the things he had pointed to was one of the, the ways of doing things in Europe. And in the Netherlands, they actually do things at 30 kilometers an hour. That is your max speed limit in some areas. And you would think it would frustrate drivers. It doesn't. And it has made the roads incredibly safe. Now, great tweet from Ron. Ron says, I live on a reduced speed street, buses, cabs, city vehicles, everyone speeds 10 to 20 over the limit blows through stops waste of money to introduce more reduced zones until the current ones are enforced. Well, that'll be part of the conversation 40 minutes from now. We'll talk about speed limits in residential areas and really along city streets and things as well. And whether or not we've got them in the right spot, because this is coming up at city council also coming up at city council beautifying the city in another way, but it's going to cost about $3.5 million of taxpayer money. Is that the equivalent of buying two hanging baskets for 60 bucks? Is that what if we were to take our world and put it on the city's world? Is that about the same thing? Buying some fertilizer, some lawn food, some seed. You pile all that in, well, you're now probably over 100 bucks to beautify your own property. Is that what we're looking at? Spending $3.5 million on fixing up the Thames Parkway a little bit? We'll talk about that, too. Right now, let's welcome one of our favorite people here because she does a great thing each and every day. She helps people to get blood. And that means, Kristen, you help to save lives. Now, here's what has happened. Last week, an email arrived for all Chorus Radio London employees letting us know that we were having an employee blood donation day this Friday at Canadian Blood Services. Well, this is good, because what have I been blabbing about for a while? I really need to donate blood. I happen to have O-negative blood. That makes me the universal donor, and I have not donated blood. I've been blabbing about that for a while, and there's no reason why I haven't. I haven't been there before and have been told, actually, you can't. I just get a little squeamish. I don't like... Blood. And now, now that there's a date and a time, actually, Kristen, to tell you the truth, now that there is a date and time, I really thought I would be feeling nervous, but really not yet. So far, so good.
4: Yeah. You know, Mike, the first time I donated, I kind of worked myself up too. And then once the process was done, I thought, wow, that was no big deal. And I just helped save a life. (laughs)
3: Yeah. And that's what everybody has said, that it is no big deal. You can work yourself up. You can think about all kinds of things. You can think about needles and you can think about what happens when they take blood, which can sometimes make you, it makes me a little queasy. But at the same time, this this is a little bit different, so maybe could we go through? I I hate to sound a little bit chicken, but could <laughs> we go through what happens? So we're going to arrive there on Friday morning. What's the first thing that? that we're going to see or do.
4: Sure. There's something you should do before you arrive. So you should drink lots of water the day before. Even the day before. Yeah, Be well hydrated. Okay. Not so much that it's extreme addition, but just be well hydrated. Mm-hmm. That morning, go for your water again. So have a few glasses before you donate. Good. They want you to have a salty snack now before donating.
3: Well, I don't no, mind we... <laughs> salty snacks, to tell you the truth. I didn't know there would be benefits here.
4: Yeah, we've got bags of chips all over our donation centers now. It's amazing. Also hard to walk by when you're you're working. Um, So you want to prep yourself. You also want to have a meal. So do not skip breakfast before donating blood in the morning.
3: Now, sometimes I'll grab a bowl of cereal in the morning and that usually makes me about hungry about 1030. So is this one of those ones where get up, make an omelette?
4: I would suggest that a good healthy meal will only help you in this situation. So that's the prep ahead of time. When you arrive at our donation center, uh, you'll check in. We have these new donor concierges there, we call them. And that's where you're entering all of your information. Um, And then you'll go through the questionnaire Um, where we're talking about travel, have you had any illnesses recently or in your lifetime? Um, Have you had any tattoos or piercings in the last three months? All those nitty-gritty questions that we need to know um, ultimately for the safety of um, the donor, so yourself and for the patient on the receiving end of your blood product. Okay. Okay. So that's the very first part of, of what you're doing. And you have to show up with photo ID or um, your blood donor card, which this will be your first donation. So photo ID is good for you.
3: Photo ID, salty snack, uh, good breakfast, <laughs> hydrate the day before. Okay. Th- this is all good stuff. Help. Helps you be healthy, to tell you the truth. And then the salty snack, well, that, that's just good. So a bag of salt and vinegar chips, I'm okay for that? This is good. I think
4: that would qualify, i yeah.
3: I in. I love salt <laughs> and vinegar chips, and I don't eat them very often. So this gives you the excuse. Exactly. Kristen Unger joining us from Canadian Blood Services. We are going to be donating as a workplace on Friday here at Chorus Radio London. And so this is the first time I've done it, and if you haven't heard London Live when we've talked about this in the past, I am O negative, which is the universal donor. There is no reason why I have not given blood in the past other than I've been too chicken to do it And I'm the kind of guy Who has to get his cholesterol tested Every six months So I go in And they take the vials of blood And I get thinking about it And there have been times When I've gotten a little green Even just giving those three vials But Kristen That has to have more With what's going on In between my ears Than it does with the blood Leaving my body Right?
4: Yeah, I think any situation Especially this one You know, you can get yourself Hyped up about it But this one You have to override it Especially you being O-negative I've said this to you before there's actually a four day supply right now of O negative, which is lower than that. Sounds the other tiny. Blood types. Yeah. So four it's, day
3: supply. Yeah.
4: You can always kind of see the inventory on our website. Um, so that one specifically is always needed. It can be used in trauma, emergencies, all those different things because O negative can go to everyone. So it's our most needed blood type. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But that's, that's kind of why yeah, this you're, needs you're calling, to happen. Right. Exactly.
3: Yep. Now, what if you don't know your blood type? Is that yep. something that you can learn?
4: Yeah. So it's amazing how many people say to me, well, I can't donate blood. I don't know my blood type or don't understand the process or think they can't donate because of uh, you know, a reason they were told when they were a kid. Um, that doesn't matter. So once you successfully donate, you get a blood donor card through the mail and that has your confirmed blood type on it. Okay, so it's really it doesn't, fun to find out. You what don't type need you to are. know
3: before you donate, they'll fill you in after.
4: You don't need to know and that's a great question. I get it asked to me all the time.
3: Okay. well here's another question that has actually come in from Kate at Mike at 980CFBL.ca. Kate says I've heard there is a weight limit, meaning if you are too light, you cannot donate.
4: Yeah. So at blood.ca, there's a height and weight chart. So if you're a fairly small person, you should take a look at that. Um, That's if you're between 17 and 23. We have a chart for you to take a look at. Once you turn 23, it's a minimum of 110 pounds to donate blood. We take the same blood volume from everyone. So you have to weigh enough um, in order to give. And the reason for that would be that you would feel better after your donation. So if you're too small, and you've given blood, that wouldn't affect you uh, like it would someone who's of a better size
3: kristen Unger with us from canadian blood services we are donating blood on friday morning the O negative will be coming out of me and going into a much needed bag it sounds like four day supply okay now we get into the details i've i've been to the concierge i have filled out the forms i'm not worried about tattoos i don't have any of those i haven't been away on a trip anywhere recently so not worried about it i think i'm going to pass now what happens? Yeah,
4: so you're going to go into one of our screening booths and meet with one of our donor care associates. They will go through uh, the process with you and your questionnaire. They're also going to test a few things. So your hemoglobin, they're going to test your blood pressure, your temperature. So you're really getting a full health checkup here, another advantage to donating blood. And then if you pass um, the screening booth with one of our staff, then you can go on to actually donating blood.
3: Okay, so there's another process then and here's another question what if you go in and because of nerves let's say your blood pressure has spiked what happens then
4: yeah so we would say uh you're not able to donate today hopefully you can come back another time Ah. some people might come in and they can't donate you know they have to wait a long time or they they can't go i think what matters is that you went in the door and you went to go see if you are a successful blood donor, that's very important. Canadians rely on the generosity of other Canadians to give blood. So why not see if you can actually donate? And you know, we say about 50% of people can donate. So if for some reason you show up and you can't, you don't pass the criteria, I wouldn't feel bad about it. I think you should feel good that you tried um, and that you looked into it and there's other ways to contribute.
3: Okay, fantastic. Just while we're on the topic of blood pressure, what's the window?
4: No, oh, the you would have to look at the guidelines on our website. Okay. All of the medical information changes all the time. That's actually another good thing to bring up. So um, the iron levels, all those things, they always are changing. So it's good to go to blood.ca and, you know, double check before you go. Because I, like I said, I meet lots of people who who think they can't donate and I'll correct them on the spot and <laughs> they actually can. If I were you donating for the first time, I would also go to blood.ca and take an eligibility quiz. Um, It's great because it goes through all of the basics with you ahead of time. Uh, I'm making this process sound very long. You can actually get through the entire process in one hour. Yeah. So
3: it's pretty amazing. Okay. Uh, So now let's go to the next step. I've met with the screener, uh, checked all the boxes there, let's hope. Now what?
4: Yeah. So you're going on to donate blood. Um, One of our staff will put you on one of our very comfortable beds, uh, explain what they're going to do, and then take blood from you. That process is actually only a few minutes. For most people I've spoken to, it's, you know, anywhere from four to eight minutes that you're actually doing that. That's really not that long at all. (laughs) It goes really quick. And uh, if you think about in that short time, you can save a life. That's pretty cool. You can help cancer patients, someone who's been in a car accident, someone who needs surgery, all these different reasons. I've talked to several mothers who have, you know, gone through childbirth and needed blood afterward. There's all these different reasons. So that's the important thing to think about in case you're getting nervous.
3: And then after you have given blood, what's the process that comes at the end?
4: Sure. So the best part, so we want to make sure, especially first-time donors, that you go and sit down and relax. And then we have cookies, juice, more salty snacks, um, lots of options for you. We have pop. And then one of our uh, trained volunteers will look after you to make sure that you're feeling well enough to get on with your day. A lot of people ask, can I Drive a car after donating blood, no problem. As long as you feel good, um, you should have no issue continuing on with your day.
3: Okay. Yeah. And there are trained professionals there. Should you not be feeling all that good?
4: Yeah. Our staff are incredible. Obviously, I'm biased. I work there, but we have an incredible staff in London. They will take very good care of you. I promise.
3: (laughs) What do you notice from people, Kristen, who donate blood for the first time? Do you see a lot of familiar faces?
4: Like returning, do you mm-hmm. mean? Or, yeah, it's really uh, amazing feeling to see someone who's come back. So you actually can't donate that many times in a year. Men can go every 56 days, uh, and women can donate every 84 days. So really, that's a pretty small contribution. So it's really fun for me to see you know, a guy return in, in uh, two months or another girl that I've dealt with come back in three months, and, and hopefully people have had a good experience. I've had people that may have not even had a good experience where, say, they didn't feel well even return to try it again because it's something very close to their heart. They knew someone who needed blood and it saved their life and they want to make sure they're contributing.
3: That is outstanding. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking me through it. I can visualize everything now <laughs> and I will be there at eight 30 and here's hoping that I can pass all the tests.
4: Yeah. Well, I think you're going to be great. We're really looking forward to having you.
3: Kristen, thank you for being here. It's been great having you here. We're going to take a break on London Live. That is Kristen Unger from Canadian Blood Services. Again, if you have any questions, visit blood.ca. And, in fact, the crack staff has looked it up. And the blood pressure numbers that we were talking about, as long as you're not over 180 on the high end or over 100 on the other, which one's systolic and which one's diastolic, uh, 180 over 100, those would be your max. So I think I'm going to fit. I think I'm going to make it. We'll tell you what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are getting close to the start of the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Londoners Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zdorsky will be representing Canada. That starts on June 7th. And if you see something going around your social media feeds that talks about bad tickets in France for the Women's World Cup, where people have purchased tickets online and they have been split up. So if you have your family of four and you purchased four tickets, you're in different rows and it's a big mess. Uh, That's being blown out of proportion according to FIFA. Now. Can you believe FIFA? I hope so. Sometimes no, but I hope so. They're saying, yeah, there was a problem for the semifinal and the final, and that's being fixed. So if you are planning a trip to France to see Jesse Fleming, Shalina Zdorsky, and Team Canada in the Women's World Cup of Soccer, just know that they're working all that out. Should be fine by the time you get there. Still to come on London Live, we'll talk about... A medical procedure here in London that is making a massive difference for people who suffer ACL injuries. If you have a knee injury of any kind, you know where you want to come? London, Ontario. Most of the top-end athletes will look in this direction if it happens to them. We'll talk about speed limits in London. We will also talk about the Memorial Cup Tournament, the St. Louis Blues, and a little stroll along the Thames Parkway. All ahead in the next hour of London Live. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Starting in about 15 minutes, Team Canada has a shot to finish in first place in their group of the World Hockey Championship. We'll keep tabs on that game. They're taking on the U.S. Finland, who beat Canada in the first game that both teams played, had a chance to wrap this up. And it didn't happen. They lost to Germany this morning. So doors open. If Canada beats the United States in regulation, that spot, number one overall, that's theirs course you still have to move into the next round and the next round and the next round we'll talk some hockey a little later on in about 35 minutes i want to talk about the memorial cup what has happened so far and how something that always seems to happen it's completely inexplicable there is no reason for it but it always seems to happen in the memorial cup it could happen again in fact it it might be happening again tonight would solidify that as guelph And the Prince Albert Raiders meet up. And a lot of people when the Guelph storm beat the London Knights, came back from that 3-0 deficit, said, how did this happen? And at the time, the only thing to say was, Guelph is that good. That's just them. They are that good a team. And they're still showing that. Now, months later. So, we'll talk some hockey a little later on. We will also talk with Ward 8 Councillor Steve Lehman. We have Ward 13 Councillor Ariel Cayobega coming up in about 15 minutes from now. A little less than 15 minutes. And we'll be looking at speed limits in London. Ron had a very good point last hour. And we raised it as, as we were talking about getting into this conversation. And that was that he lives in a reduced speed area. And you name the vehicle outside of somebody on a bike, bicycle, and they're all going faster than the speed limit. He says, forget about going around changing all the signs. Forget about the money that it would cost to do this. We've got to enforce what's there already because people are flying through. What is the solution? Some cities use photo radar. I wouldn't mind that. And you can say, oh, I don't want to be getting tickets for going three over. Some cities have that. And you pay your ticket. And you know what you do? Next time, you remember not to go three over. That's what you do. You remember to go to the speed limit. You need consequences. Right now, there's no consequences. How often do you get pulled over? And this is not the fault of the police. There aren't enough officers to be doing this. And a lot of times, I like to equate photo radar with instant replay. It used to be that we didn't need instant replay in sports. Well, now we do. We need photo radar for driving like we need instant replay in sports. Very similar. Speaking of sports, people who blow out their ACL, tear an ACL, or even just damage an ACL, now have a little bit of a bright spot at the end of the tunnel, courtesy of some research that has been done in London, Ontario, which, if you have a knee injury, is the place of all places. Dr. Alan Getgood is a scientist at Lawson and an orthopedic knee surgeon at the Fowler-Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic, and he's joining us right now on London Live to talk a little bit more about ACL reconstruction and some of the findings that he and his colleagues have come up with. Dr. Getgood, how are you? Very good, Thanks. Good. We already know that if somebody has a knee injury, uh, London, Ontario is quite the place to come. How big is that reputation when you look at kind of the the world of athletics?
5: Yeah, I mean, the the Fowler-Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic has got a really long-standing history, um, starting out with Jack Kennedy, um, who was a professor of orthopedics here in London, and then Peter Fowler, who, who really brought it on. And, uh, yeah, it's a real privilege to work here. It's got an international reputation, and, and certainly as a surgeon working in a center like this, um, it really it really helps us in terms of being able to um, promote the type of, uh, of, of uh, surgeries and the type of treatments that we can for our patient population. And uh, it really gives a really nice basis for us to be able to do some of the research that we do
3: you've also got a little something extra when it comes to taking care of knees now you've learned a little bit more about the acl and its reconstruction and an additional procedure that has been done that that may help out and we'll get to what that is and and how it will help but anybody who kind of follows sports will always hear about the old acl tear we hear it as three letters we probably don't even appreciate what the acl does what exactly does it do
5: sure well so the acl so it's the anterior cruciate ligament it's uh it's a a ligament within the knee that helps control the stability of the joint um so patients that or or certainly people that that have acl injuries often are very young athletic type people and doing sort of pivoting sports such as soccer rugby football and um, they're really dependent on that ligament to be able to do some of the directional changes and the activities that they wish to do. It's one of the most common injuries that we treat here at Fowler Kennedy, um, and unfortunately, just because of the nature of the of the of the population that injured their ACL, it's often these young, active individuals uh, doing these types of sports that are afflicted by this particular problem.
3: So, when we talk about fixing it. Is this the kind of injury where we sometimes hear you'll use a ligament that can come from a cadaver or something else?
5: So, I mean, that's correct. I mean, at cadaveric options are, you know, like donor tendons are available. What we know from past research is that the, the failure rates associated with using um, donor tendons are really very high, so we tend not to do that, certainly in our younger population. Um, what's more common is that we use another piece of tissue from uh, your own body. So either a hamstring tendon, for example, or uh, the, the central part of your patella tendon or even sometimes the quadriceps tendon can be used to be able to, to replace the, uh, the anterior cruciate ligament. And that was what we, we would call an anterior cruciate ligament uh, reconstruction or an ACL reconstruction.
3: We're talking with Dr. Alan Gedgood, scientist at Lawson and Orthopedic Knee Surgeon of the Fowler Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic. And we're talking about ACLs for just a little bit. Now, when you look at the additional procedure that can be done, what's happening there? And and then we'll get into what's happening and what kind of results you're seeing. So interestingly,
5: the, 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 the uh... The extra procedure that you're talking about is what we call a lateral extra-articular tenodesis. Of course, you as, do. A, That's, that as, sounds as, very. Course, can you say that as, one as, more time? Lateral extra-articular tenodesis. Easier just to call it an LET. And it's it's really it's just a, a an extra procedure on the outside of the knee, so on the lateral side of the knee that that aids the ACL in controlling the stability of the joint. Now the interesting thing is that actually way back in the, the 1950s, this was what this was the primary surgery that was used to treat patients who had an ACL injury and it kind of went out of favor more people understood the ACL reconstruction that, that could be performed and then that developed into more of the sort of the keyhole surgery type techniques and so we went away an, an awful lot away from the the LET type procedure but in the last 10 years it's become a little bit more of interest certainly and in, in, in 2012 there was an important um, article and some research that then we subsequently did here in London that showed that maybe the addition of this lateral extra tenodesis, this LET procedure to an ACL reconstruction may be beneficial. And we showed that in the lab to so doing sort of biomechanical studies on, on uh, cadaveric tissue. Whereas this, this particular study now that we're talking about this morning is really is all about the, um, the, the clinical study that we've just completed uh, here at Fowler Kennedy.
3: And in terms of what it may help, where do you kind of put that perspective when it comes to individuals or even athletes who have suffered problems with their ACL?
5: So, I mean, one of the, the biggest issues that we face with young, young individuals having an ACL injury and then subsequent ACL surgery is the risk of re-injury to that graft, so the, the ACL reconstruction and having a failure of that procedure. And unfortunately, if you're under the age of 25, some studies have suggested that those the rates of failure can be anything up to as high as 20% at two years, so one in five patients, which is really not acceptable. So we we looked to see whether or not the addition of this LET, to this lateral tenodesis procedure, to a standard ACL reconstruction could be beneficial in reducing the risk of failure. And to do that, we, we essentially started in 2014 a large multi-center randomized trial. So it was leading here at Fowler Kennedy, but it included seven sites in Canada as well as two sites in Europe.
3: Okay. And what have you found?
5: Well, we, we, were, uh, we were in a large conference last week um, in Cancun, Mexico. It was an international sports uh, surgery co- conference called ISACOS, and we presented the results of the study, and it essentially showed that patients who had the, the addition of the lateral tenodesis had a 65% reduction in the risk of, of re-injury. So 11% of patients in the ACL-only group had a re-injury, whereas in the uh, the addition of the LET, we had a 4% rate of re-injury at the two-year time point. So this really suggested that there were really quite significant differences between the two uh, surgical groups, uh, indicating that that the lateral tenodesis has a protective effect on the ACL reconstruction. And, And younger patients under the age of 25, having a hamstring tendon autograft reconstruction would probably benefit from this procedure.
3: So a procedure done a long time ago that has now kind of been brought back into favor is showing fantastic results. That's, in a nutshell, that's what it would show. One last thing while we're talking, Dr. Gedgood, and that is the knee itself. Once you injure it in, say, an ACL injury or another ligament injury, if you have a tear, how close can the knee be brought back to 100%?
5: Um, in terms of its normal sort of motion and it's, it's, its sort of it's, its normal stability, you're probably close to 90, 95%. It's not absolutely perfect. The the bigger issue that we face is that just the injury itself will have some other effects on the rest of the joint, such as the meniscus cartilage or the articular cartilage, which is like the the smooth lining of the joint, gives us a nice smooth articulation. And over time, even when we do the surgery, over time, the likelihood is that there 's a, there's a high risk of the, of a wear and tear process, starting so what we call post traumatic osteoarthritis and that may not happen until ten, fifteen, twenty years down the line but it just means that you know we, we, what we can't do is we can't reproduce complete normality for like you were before the injury. We're trying to do better. There are many other things that we can try and do, and there's a lot of other research in this area to try and improve outcomes into the longer time points. But uh, certainly it's difficult to make it absolutely normal.
3: Dr. Gedgood, congratulations on the findings, and keep up the good work, please. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Alan Getgood, scientist at Lawson, orthopedic knee surgeon at the Fowler Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic. So something new to help out ACL reconstruction. Don't we talk about healthcare care in this city a lot? There we go again. Something else that is a big bonus for the City of London. Next up, we will talk traffic, speed limits, something that's not really a bonus anywhere, something that is a big discussion point everywhere. What should they be in residential areas? What should they be on city streets? Well, this is being talked about by the City of London right now. Ward 13 Councillor Ariel Cayobega will join us next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Team Canada's moving very quickly at the World Hockey Championship in their final round-robin game. They lead. 1-0. Not even five minutes in. Pierre-Luc Dubois has the goal there. Moving quickly, though, is a bit of a concern for London. Moving quickly in a car can cause some serious issues. We know that. What did we hear from Vision Zero? This was maybe the best way to put this. If you are struck as a pedestrian by a vehicle and that vehicle is doing 50 kilometers an hour which is the speed limit in a lot of spots you have a one in ten chance of surviving that one in ten if you move that and this is according to vision zero if you move that back to 40 kilometers an hour and you are struck you have a seven in ten chance of surviving Move it back to 30 kilometers an hour, as exists in some parts of Europe, and you have a, a 90% chance, nine and ten chance of surviving. That's a big difference. We have vehicles that zoom all over the place. And you can think, wow, well, I'm in control. I can, I can do look, I can text, I can eat soup, and I can steer with my foot. It's all fine. No, it's not fine. And this is something that has become a serious bit of discussion with our London City Council. And they're going to continue to talk about this. And they're going to talk about whether or not to lower some residential speed limits to 40 kilometers an hour. Joining us right now is Ward 13 Councillor Ariel Kayabega. Councillor Kayabega, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Mike. Let's look at kind of the genesis of this. Where did this all come from?
6: Um, I think that it came. It's an initiative that's in the in the London plan, and it, it also came from a lot of uh, advocacy from the community and um, just councils being super proactive. So, yeah.
3: We like proactive. We like proactive a lot. It's it's sometimes way better than reactive. And there are people who are going to say, hey, this has been needed for a long time. So take us through what you expect from the conversation that is about to take place.
6: You know, every conversation we have on, on the, on the council tables are always different and you never know how they're going to go because we're all very uh, different in our, in our ways of approaching situations. But I don't see this going, um, south from where the direction, um, is leading right now, which is decreasing, um, the speed limit in our city, in neighborhoods. And, um, for me, who is a downtown councillor, I think that it's really important, um, to, 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 to do this right, um, as we just uh, finish uh, implementing the, the, the protected bike lane on King Street. King Street, if you have been there, Mike, um, I'm sure you have an experience of what it's like to see how fast people drive on that street. Um, I definitely will uh, be supporting this, and I hope that other uh, colleagues will be supporting this as well, but generally speaking, I think we're somewhat on the same page on this because, you know, you I, I know you, you just said the numbers there, and it's quite astonishing to hear, actually, and uh, lowering speed limit will definitely decrease, uh, increase safety um, and it will decrease the number of crashes that we have in our city and the potential of having, um, you know, the fear of being on a, on, a, on a bicycle on King Street, for example, where we, we're going to have more people ride on that, on that street. So um, I'm very excited to do this and I'm looking forward to it tonight.
3: Well, you mentioned King Street, and yeah. it's been amazing to see how quickly the protected bike lane has gone up. That's That's been pretty fantastic. But Ben Cowie yeah. from the London Bicycle Cafe took a number of media people on a bicycle ride less than a year ago. And at the end of it, he made sure we stopped. And we stopped at, I think it was King and Clarence. Yeah. And he said, I just want you to stand here just for a second. We kind of looked around thinking, what, what, is an ice cream truck coming? I mean, what are we standing here for? He said... Just watch. Yeah. And we watched cyclists trying to make it along there. And we watched mm-hmm. how difficult it was, how dangerous it was, some of the maneuvers they were going through, yeah. and how fast the traffic was moving. You're exactly right. So this would this not just be for residential? Could this also be for downtown London that we would reduce the speed limit to 40?
6: I would really push on that. I will be looking to see that happen because um, there, we're, I'm all about, uh, you know, um, pushing people or, or I guess, motivating people to do a lot of walking downtown and um, having things, services accessible between a 10 to 15-minute gap. Um, And that requires a lot of walking, that requires a lot of biking, that requires a lot of being in the community and and being active. And we need cars to slow down. If you go on King Street, um, you know, the one-way street, Streets are, are basically like a death trap where it's too fast. People are driving too fast and they don't even respect the limit that's there already. So I would love to see that go down a little bit because it's going to, it's going to create a safer street and people will be more comfortable to go out there and ride their bikes, walk with their families. Um, and King Street, uh, specifically, there is, um, you know, there are a lot of people who live on King Street. And there's even a splash pad, actually, at the end of the street, if you know where the, the park is. Um, a lot of families are crossing there all the time, and it's, it's, it's too fast. Um, they've talked about people who drive. Uh, I actually receive complaints um, about that area all the time, right? So I think that this is an, going in a good direction. I think it should be also implemented in the downtown area as well.
3: We're talking with Ward 13 Councillor Ariel Cayobega, and we're talking about speed limits in London. The proposal that we see a reduction to 40 kilometers an hour. It would be first in some subdivisions, or could it be across the board?
6: Uh, I can't say exactly right now. It's, uh, we're going to see how uh, it's going to go tonight, but I intend on bringing up uh, the downtown area to be added into the mix of this.
3: Okay, excellent. Yeah. Now, one of the things just before we leave the conversation here and, and let you get set for what happens later today is enforcement. And we had Ron immediately say last hour that hey, it's fine to look at reducing speeds, but the enforcement is kind of the key because people aren't exactly going the speed limit as it's posted. Now, is that something you expect to be a part of the, the conversation as well?
6: I think that should definitely be up for the conversation and and uh, in a very wholesome way. We're we're not spending a lot of resources, um, uh, wasting resources, to be honest, and we're making sure that we're being proactive in in implementing this new change, that we don't have to push a lot on enforcement. So that's a conversation that we should be having tonight, for sure.
3: Do you think the words photo radar will come up?
6: I think so. I mean, we already have a lot of requests on that from our, our constituents. So it's definitely something that we, we should look up to. Yeah, okay. we should look into. Yeah.
3: Excellent. Well, enjoy the conversation. Can't wait to see what comes out of it. Councillor Cayo well, thank, thank you so much for the time.
6: Thanks for your time. Have a good
3: day. Bye-bye. That is Ward 13 Councillor Ariel Kayabega. So again, they're at the conversation stage, but Ron raised a really good point because it does cost money to do things like this. Posted speed limit. <sighs> Let's face it, it It isn't always observed, but I always think that people are now, because I think we've been trained to do this, people will look at the posted speed limit and say, okay, well, I've, I've got some leeway. I've got some gray area for that. If it's 40, I can do 50. If it's 50, I can do 60, 65. And maybe that's something that we've got to get out of our heads. You know, you always think, well, I need to drive fast to get to where I want to go. Uh, not really. You know, if, if you drive fast, if you make it, and I dare you to, people who drive funky looking vehicles are always the best to look at in little experiments you can do when driving around. If you've got a very noticeable vehicle in front of you and they make it through the red light and you don't, you think, oh, oh, hey, made it through the red light. I didn't even make it. I'm going to be late. And then two stoplights later, you've caught right up to them because that's the flow of traffic. If you are driving 10 kilometers an hour faster, what are you getting there? 65 seconds earlier? What's that doing for you? Even if you're getting there seven minutes earlier because you're driving really fast, what is that actually doing for you? Is it making a difference? We can talk about this. We've got to take a break for news, and then maybe we'll open up the phones on this. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Speed limits in London. What should they be? How should that be enforced? This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It is still a pretty decent looking day. Good day for a drive, right? If you want to weigh in on speed limits in the city of London and whether... Whether this is the right way to go about things—if you just went around and and nothing has been decided yet—but if you went around and changed everything to forty kilometers an hour, would it have a big impact? City Council is going to look at a number of things. This conversation has been continuing for a while. But is that the way to go, or is it the enforcement side? What if you enforced what was already there? Is that the way to go? Right now, we're at fifty kilometers an hour. If that was enforced, if you look at what is spelled out through statistics, you'll find that, you know what? No, that's that's not enough. That's not good enough. You're still going to have, really, the potential for catastrophic injury if someone driving 50 strikes a pedestrian, strikes a cyclist. That's not the way you want it. You need to bring down the speed. Let's open up the phones for a couple of minutes. 519-643-2222. What do you think should be done with speed limits in the city of London? Fine. Need to be lowered? Need to be better enforced? How would you look at it? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Let's go to Mark. Mark, what would you do if you had the power?
7: I would enforce the rules as they are, and that includes pedestrians and cyclists. And you would, uh, I would enforce. Them. I would lower them in in um, in sensitive areas like schools. Mm-hmm. But, but for the most part, like your, your main arteries, no, leave it alone. In fact, on like the four hundred one, once you're outside of the city limits of London, open it right up. And also at night, like I dr- I drive a truck around London occasionally. So at night, why don't you put all the lights on a flashing red? So you pull up, you look. How many times you pull up to an intersection? Two lanes here, two lanes north, south, east, and west, not a car. But i got to stand at this lit- red light and wait. Now, I'll give you an example. It happened last year or the year before. Somebody's driving down the road, and it was an elderly couple. A cyclist comes out from nowhere, crashes into the side of the car, calls the police. No insurance, no registration, no nothing for this cyclist. Yet, who's in trouble? And I, I stopped to help, and I said, "No, that's, that's wrong." And I said, "And the cop, give me heck a little bit." I said, "Who's going to pay for the offender now? That's wrong."
3: You, see, you know what I mean? Well, because it wasn't the driver who you say was at fault. The cyclist came running into the side of the car, right?
7: That's right. But if they had no witness, it would have been their word against his word. I stopped as a witness for that. You know what I mean? And then, like a lot of times, I'll drive through Hamilton, four lanes. You've got one lane blocked for of parking you've got one lane tied up for the cyclists and i'll tell you on any given week i can count on one hand the number of cyclists i see in that bike lane and you've got all the traffic packed into this one silly two lanes going right down the middle and nine times out of ten you'll get some idiot on a bike weaving in and out of those two lanes and why don't why don't you enforce the rules as they are
3: that's, you know, that's one of the avenues that you can go down. And I think you you make a great point, Mark, if you're going to enforce the rules. It has to be no jaywalking. How many people? Hamilton Road is the best example for this, where people do not go. And maybe it's because there aren't enough stoplights, not enough crosswalks. I don't know what it is. I think there are enough of both. But they will not cross there. They'll walk across four lanes. And some of them will force people to slow down.
7: So, I, I, I have a, I, I would, I drive a, I drive a fuel truck. It's 84 feet long. I'm going through an intersection, and a group of uh, youths walked in front of me. I I had to come to a stop, and then as I proceed, I've still got my pup behind me. Now I've got a red light flashing at me. I had to fight that in court because of these people that want to jaywalk.
3: Yeah. And I can't even imagine. I mean, I don't think Five. people realize what it's like to drive a fuel truck or drive anything with liquid in it. I can't even yeah. imagine how tough that was for you to, to react, to bring that to a stop.
7: Yeah, $500. I'm in court fighting $500 because of some fools that don't even understand how an intersection works.
3: Mark, thanks for the thoughts. Okay. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Mark raises a great issue. I mean, if, if you are going to enforce rules, you've got to enforce rules across the board. But here's the problem. How do you enforce them? Is that where we get to the instant replay of life? Is that where we get to not just the photo radar, but we put cameras in intersections and you find some program that can identify where a jaywalker might be? And then what do, do we use facial recognition to find a way to charge that jaywalk. I mean, that's, that's where the territory gets awfully tough because it's hard to say and force it and make it happen. Right now, we are seeing cuts to services and money that will be used to provide those services in the province of Ontario. And we know that police officers will be dealing with this. So we're likely to see fewer officers instead of more officers, which is going in the wrong direction. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Rob, how do you feel about it?
1: Uh, I think it's a very, very good idea. Uh, I, I drive a service truck in the city, so I can be anywhere in the city at any given time. And the, the drivers in London, red now means go faster. Uh, stop signs are, you know, negotiable whether you do it or not. And people will cross wherever they care. And they, they just don't care. Uh, cell phones, I've been hit three different times in the city by people on cell phones, and I get very upset with them when I see them, and they're, uh, stopped at lights, and on their phones, and they just don't care. Driving with them, don't care. That's the whole thing. Yeah. You know?
3: And again, Maybe, it comes I, down to enforcement, but how do we get that enforcement to be, to be better? Because even if we had, you know, throngs of police officers combing the city, we would still have people on their phones at the intersection. It's almost like parenting. Ultimately, it comes down to what's happening in the home. It comes down to what you are willing to do and not do, what rules you are willing to follow and not follow, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I just want to know uh, how privileged these people are to think that they're allowed to break the law. It just doesn't make any sense to me. The, uh, the police officers that uh, are on the, uh, the medians and on the buses, that should be happening all the time. I'd like to have an officer sitting in the uh, passenger side of my truck. <laughs> I could get him 100 fines a day.
3: <laughs> and and you are seeing cell phone use behind the wheel. How would, how would you classify it? Would you classify it as a regular occurrence? You see it every day?
1: I see it every single day. I can leave my house and go, go to the store, which is a block away, and I'll guarantee you I'll see at least one, if not two people on their phones.
3: Brutal. Yeah, it is. It's getting really bad. Rob, thanks for the call. No worries. 519-643-2222. If you want to weigh in on really anything traffic-related, but we start off the conversation about speed limits in the City of London and where they should be or how they should be enforced. And again, it is that enforcement. Rob's exactly right. If we had the luxury of having a police officer who could travel around with him in his vehicle... Yeah, you could do that. How many times do we see it? And the intersections are the worst for cell phone use. People will have that cell phone handy, and you want to know why so many people are slow off the start, and this leads to more traffic congestion? It's because they're on their phone when they're stopped. It's not just when you're moving that it's illegal. It is illegal, period. You can't use that while you're operating a motor vehicle in any way. For that reason, it's unsafe. You're not paying attention. So how do we get the enforcement down? How do, how do we make that happen? Photo radar and speed zones, that's got to be the easiest way. Has to be. And I don't know why that ever came off the books. I really don't. We were going in the right direction. It's like instant replay. It is, unfortunately, the instant replay of life. But that's what we need. I don't think it's stopping jaywalkers, but if you've got a license plate, it's stopping you. You get a couple of tickets like that, you'll learn pretty quickly. How do we learn in life? You need consequences. That stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. Ow! What did you do? I touched the stove. And it was hot. Are you going to do that again? No, because it was hot. That's how we learn in life. You need consequences. Few photo radar tickets? We'd have our consequences. I firmly believe that. It wouldn't solve the problem, but it definitely, in my mind, would address the problem more to come in a moment this is global news radio 980 cfbl when the good weather comes if you own a home or a property of some kind what do you do what you gotta fix it up you gotta cut the grass gotta rake the leaves a lot of times you'll go out and buy some flowers for the garden out front maybe you'll touch up where you were shoveling and Hit the one post and now it's got a mark on it where you paint that. You beautify, right? And as much as we can talk about money for this and money for that and not enough money for any of it, is there enough money for beautification? Well, that's another topic at City Hall tonight. Joining us to talk about the Thames Parkway or the Thames Valley Parkway or the Thames River Parkway, it gets a number of different names, is Ward 8 Councillor Steve Lehman. This is another conversation that is coming up at City Hall tonight. Councillor Lehman, how is today going?
8: Well, it's great to see the sunshine. So (laughs) we have a good spring day
3: finally. And now you get to talk about doing spring things at Council tonight, looking to kind of make a a connection so that our pathways can reach even further. Can you lay out what one of the major topics is expected to be tonight?
8: Well, we have, uh, well, London's uh, biggest natural asset is our river. Uh, We're very fortunate to have... uh, this natural waterway through our city. So we look at it for, from two standpoints. One uh, is its uh, stewardship. Do we take care of our asset the way you would take care of uh, any uh, any major asset uh, to ensure its health and viability? And then the second part uh, of the equation, its use. Uh, we want we want want to encourage Londoners uh, to be able to access the river and, and enjoy uh, our asset. So tonight, what we're talking about uh, is we're talking about connecting uh, some parts of uh, the pathways that, that go through our city. We have 42 kilometers now of pathways that go along uh, the Thames, and it's uh, three branches. Uh, but there are gaps uh, in, in that system. And what we're trying to do over time is to connect those gaps, and so tonight we're talking about uh, a gap in the north end city that's going to connect uh, some parks together, along with um, uh, along with the river. Um, it's one of you uh, know gaps that are intended to be filled uh, all across the city. So while it's not my ward, uh, I'm you know really excited to talk about this tonight and uh, look forward to uh, getting on with this.
3: We're talking with Ward Eight Councilor Steve Lehman. So how? Big a project would it be to make this connection?
8: Well, it's a you know it's a considerable connection requiring some bridge work and uh, uh, construction work. It's approximately seven million dollars, but half of that is funded um, by other sources of funding. So um, it's it's no small feat. But uh, council has been at this for the past thirty years, and um, you know it's it's it's, que- it's it's similar to improving your property at home. Every council, I believe, has a responsibility to constantly invest in the city to make it better for the next council, and the next generation of Londoners. So, you know, another 30 years from now, boy, we'll have that much uh, better asset uh, for everyone to enjoy.
3: Yeah, there's a reason why when the spring weather comes, you hit the garden center and you buy the stuff and you cut the grass and you fix the holes and all that sort of thing. Now, do you tend to get blowback from people when you look at, at something that maybe is more aesthetic than anything else, saying, hey, this money should be going somewhere else? Are you ready for that?
8: You know what? Uh, for sure, there's always a lively debate on where we should spend our money, um, I uh, support things like this because it goes more uh, than just the aesthetic. Uh, It's actual use. I was down uh, along Springbank Park actually this morning. I was looking along the river because we're looking at things uh, that potentially affect my ward, which is on the other side of the river. And, boy, it was just terrific to see everyone down there. People were biking down there. People were walking. I saw a fitness class of a caravan of, Uh, Ten uh, strollers out while they were lifting weights. Um, What an exciting city to to see that going on. And and it's also an investment because as we work hard to attract business to London, what business looks for is the quality of life for their employees so they can attract great talent. When you have this type of asset and the money is invested wisely, where people are using the asset, I think that will uh, only enhance London as a place for a business to decide to invest in.
3: Hey, that kind of stuff is contagious. That's good news. Uh, Counselor Lehman, thank you so much. Good luck with the discussion tonight.
8: Thank you. Have a great spring day.
3: Counselor Steve Lehman, Ward 8 Counselor in the City of London on at least one project that you could call beautification. And again, that's a tough sell. That's a really tough sell. But... In the world of spend some money to make some money, make hay when the sun shines, all of those old adages, maybe it fits. We'll see what they decide to do. We'll follow those stories for you. Up next, a word on the Memorial Cup and the St. Louis Blues before we close out the show. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Canada is leading the United States 2-0 in the World Hockey Championship right now, so that's good news for them. The St. Louis Blues, they can knock out Logan Couture, Joe Thornton, the San Jose Sharks with a win tonight. The Blues haven't been to the Stanley Cup Final since 1970, and people are going to say, well look, they haven't been there since 1970. They shouldn't have been there then either. Or in 1969. Or in 1968. They've been to the finals as a franchise three times. Back when all you had to be was the best worst team. Because all the expansion teams played each other. And all the other teams that were the original six played each other. And then each produced a finalist. And they played for the Stanley Cup. So the Blues were the best worst team three years in a row. They didn't win a game in the Stanley Cup final. Now they would get a chance to go back there and have earned it. And remember, on January 3rd, the Blues were last in the National Hockey League standings. It's been a pretty amazing story. I know around here, Logan Couture and Joe Thornton, they have people cheering for the Sharks. Keep cheering for the Sharks, but just know the Blues, they're a pretty good story too. And then at the Memorial Cup, it's weird. The Memorial Cup is a tournament where similar things happen year after year that you can't explain. And one of those is... You're going to have a team that shows up that just doesn't have it. That just did everything that they were going to do in winning a league championship. It's hard to win the Memorial Cup. You have three league champions. You have a host team with thousands of people cheering for them. And one of the teams will show up and they just won't have it. And that could be the Prince Albert Raiders. If they don't win tonight, they will play the Guelph Storm. Then that's it for them and they will be that team. And something weird is happening From the Western Hockey League, every champion for the last three years has failed to win a game. Weird. Very strange. That just doesn't usually take place. It's a good league. They can't win. No one's sure why. So, a couple of strange things to monitor. And if you are a London Knights fan, see, Guelph just is that good. They have every chance of winning the Memorial Cup. They really do. They may have played their bad game against Halifax. That's what they've been saying. And if they get their game back going tonight and keep it going like they've done in past series, they could be Memorial Cup champions because the Guelph Storm, yeah, they're just that good. We are out of time. Thanks to Kelly Wang for her help today. London Live brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Jacqueline the Bell is coming up next. She will have news. John Wilson has the forecast. You are listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.